All right, all right, all right. Let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Actual Anarchy Podcast, the podcast where we talk about movies, television shows, and docu-series from a Rothbardian and anarcho-capitalist perspective. Tonight is episode 142 of the show, and you can find the show notes more at actualanarchy.com slash 142. Tonight we're talking about Chernobyl, the HBO miniseries, docu-series that uh, was all the rage just a few short months ago. I think people were interchanging between Chernobyl and Game of Thrones, uh, throwing down, and we're about to throw down with the guys from Free Market Screen Earth on the uh, last night's portion of the show. Before we do that, I want to say hello to Robert, who has new moving bins as he prepares to move back to the remote, desolate cabin and uh, for the winter. He's going to hole up for the winter. And tell us tell us what you got planned there, Robert. Well, I'm not moving everything. So the plan was to take what I have and store it down in the basement before I leave. But, you know, basements get muggy and damp and moist. And if you're putting, like, you know, nice things down there, you don't want them to get all nasty. So you know, there's, some, like, some seriously valuable stuff, not to explain what I'm putting down there. But, you know, you don't have to get damaged. You don't want to wake up five years later and find everything's covered in mold. That that would not be cool. No, I think that's uh, something you do want to be wary of. And so that'll be... One of our tips for actually a key audience listeners, don't put stuff down in the damp basement if you care about it. But why don't we get into the last night's portion of the show and introduce our guests. Okay. All righty, here we go. Hey everyone, it's Daniel Elwood and Robert Johnson, the Last Nighters, and the Last Nighters are part of the Launchpad Media, where we're always launching new ideas in your direction. Check it out at thelaunchpadmedia.com. Tonight we're going to be talking about the HBO miniseries Chernobyl on this 85th running of the Last Nighters, and you can find the show notes more at lastnighters.com slash 85. Tonight we are joined by a couple of gentlemen from the free markets Green Earth, and uh, sounds like Liberty and Homesteads and Homeschools. Is that right, Ben? Is that the name of it? It is. It is. That is the name. All right, excellent. So, uh, Nikki P., you are also on the Launchpad Media uh, with your show, Sounds Like Liberty. Um, why don't you guys introduce yourselves and tell us what is Free Markets Green Earth about and how did you two join forces Voltron style to uh, kind of correct some misconceptions that uh, surround environmentalism and uh, related topics? You want to go back? Yeah, back? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, go for it. Yeah, why not? So it's been something that was bouncing around in my head for a long time. I got really sick of people, like people, especially on like the left, but coming at me like the best thing that we can do is collectivize everything and that that's going to be good for the environment. And that humanity is naturally the worst thing on the planet. And that the way the world is right now or was for 40 years ago is exactly the way the world should be. And it should never change, never be static. 
And it was just a whole bunch of nonsense. Uh, so I knew Ben through the Lions of Liberty forums and we kind of more than once had talked about, you know, we grew up in upstate New York and different parts of it. And had this natural love for, you know, the actual nature of nature. Ben having a homesteading podcast, it was a natural thing, I think, for him. But we decided, you know, we were going to do it initially as a bonus show for our respective podcasts. And there's a lot of interest in it. So we just kind of moved it out to the, from behind a paywall, kept going at it, to uh, tell the lefties that they're wrong and that government is the biggest polluter on the planet. Yeah, yeah, that, that sounds about right for me. I mean, it was it's always kind of been there, you know, like, uh, I, I had my podcast going, I really wanted to do something that was more, more along the lines of, of the environment from, from more of a ANCAP sort of perspective, but I didn't, I didn't have the wherewithal, I think, to, to do it on my own. It wasn't something I, I wanted to do and I was hesitant and, you know, and, and Nikki and I have been talking and it's just kind of came together. Yeah. So. Nikki will talk anyone into anything podcast related. <laughs> yeah, it seems that way. Now, how, how far along are you guys um, in your episode count and uh, where can people find your show? I think we got 14, 14 episodes up right now, Nikki. Um, it sounds like you had that vacation up in New York. We, we didn't get a lot done during. But... Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. 14, I believe. Yep. It's uh, freemarketscreenearth.com. All right. Sounds great. And we will put that on our show notes page, of course, for our listeners. Now, uh, how we normally start off our show is we give the Google description and other information a read, and we use that as our jumping off point. And then we'll uh, kind of go from there, conversation style, California pool party style, in honor of Vince Vaughn's recent appearance on Tom Woods. Uh, <laughs> and, and then uh, we'll kind of peter out that discussion, wind up the show. And if we feel like there's more content to discuss related to Chernobyl, I think we have, in consideration, a continuation of this discussion on your guys' show in the coming week or two. So if we feel like there's more to do, uh, we will continue on shortly thereafter. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. All right. Here we go. Chernobyl. <laughs> Chernobyl drama miniseries 9.5 on the IMDb. 96% Rotten Tomatoes and 97% of Google users like it. It's almost universal acclaim. The description is very brief. It says, Brave men and women act heroically to mitigate catastrophic damage when the Chernobyl nuclear power plant suffers a nuclear accident on April 26, 1986. This was a five-episode series on HBO. The first one came out May 6th of this year, and the final episode came out on June 3rd, so one per week for five weeks until their demands were met. Robert, let's round you into the discussion here. Your thoughts on the Google description and other related information so far. Well, I would, I would add to that description. I, I would say it's certainly very accurate that there were brave men and women acted heroically to mitigate the damage done in the Chernobyl disaster. But the series's strength is highlighting the bureaucratic roadblocks and the, the secrecy that got in the way of the scientists who are actually trying to get their work done. And like, the whole secrecy of the state where the the Soviet Union was this, you know, constantly being glorified, right? Like Russia is the best and we never do anything bad or wrong and nothing bad ever happens here. 
So they told the world one thing, but then internally they're all scrambling around to try and fix things. Or so then the actual body count, the official death toll is like what 39, but that can't even possibly be true, not even close. And then not that's not even to say all the the cancers and all the other things that happened, but yeah, it's it's more a, a story of government secrecy and authoritarianism, I would say, than just like a heroic tale of a bunch of heroes doing doing something heroic. Even though there is that, there is that, but I mean, you've got a hospital, you got a hospital next to a nuclear power plant doesn't even stock iodine because you know some bureaucrats didn't think to do that, or you've got this robot that you order from germany that's supposed to be able to clean off this roof but it dies immediately because you sent out the fake numbers it's like all kinds of horrific stupid stuff happened all due to this authoritarianism and constantly listening to you know the next guy higher up in the chain and all this and that anyway it's great great series i don't know apparently it appeal to a broad audience but from my you know libertarian and cap brain pointing out failures of state bureaucracy um i i think i might have enjoyed it more than the average viewer but i don't i couldn't say yeah that, that's uh some pretty good commentary and i'll just add to it that you know my awareness of this event when this happened in 1986 that was what uh eight years old i mean i i heard about it um, but I didn't like understand what was going on. And just a few months prior, the challenger had blown up and that was kind of like the catalyzing moment, you know, that flashpoint moment that people remember, it gets, uh, indelibly, uh, uh, in your mind, like the JFK assassination, that kind of example. And until seeing this series, I was like, oh, I just knew something about Chernobyl, something about nuclear meltdown. Uh, but I never understood why or what had happened. And I feel like after watching this, I have a better understanding of it. And there is a, um, a podcast that the creator did or the writer of this uh, series did with, with a podcast host, and it's available through HBO. And I'll put a link to the podcast episodes on our show notes page. Uh, but they actually go through each of the five uh, episodes in the series and discuss what is accurate and what had to be changed uh, for you know various purposes, for storytelling, for narrative, to simplify things, etc. But apparently they, they were very true to um, the events as best as they understood them and uh, did a very good job in explaining this, especially in episode five of the series where you kind of see the balance between um, how they maintain the equilibrium within the reactor. And if, if it goes too far out of balance and so many of the things, the actions taken by individuals, either through uh, bureaucratic means or through just total disregard for safety, um, how it would exacerbate those problems and, and throw them even further out of alignment. Um, not to, you know, spoil the entire uh, episode already, <laughs> but, you know, we, we do spoilers all the time on here. Um, and then just to speak to the bureauc bureaucracy and the central planning, uh, one thing that really stood out to me in this was the uh, command structure and the game of telephone, like in real life, that had to be played. And I remember playing that in 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 government day prison school, uh, where you know you'd start with a message uh, on one end of the room and you'd whisper to the next person who'd go all the way around the room, and then uh, 
you would hear what the last person thought they heard, and it would be so vastly different than what the original message was. And everyone would always get a huge laugh out of, oh, well, it'll be a first thing actually was, you know, whatever. Um, but here you have it in real life with real stakes and real consequences. And it's just kind of amazing, uh, you know. And so uh, I'll go to Nick, your uh, your take on what we've talked about so far. Well, to me, I mean, it could sound cliche to say, but the the government oppression, it, it, it felt like a character to me. Because in literally every scene where like, you're dealing with the bureaucracy of this, this you know, this place, you can almost feel the superiors leaning over the shoulders of everybody talking, the person above them. Everyone is, is terrified, just literally terrified of what they're going, either going to have to deal with paperwork-wise or what they're going to have to deal with, you know, reprisal-wise in reference to what they may say. And so literally it just seems like everyone wants to say nothing because it's easier to deal with nothing being said than to have to deal with what you're going to have to tell somebody if it's the wrong thing. And you can just feel that pressure on literally every character in the movie, with the exception of, say, the one guy who seems to know what the hell's actually going on. Yeah, it did seem like there's a lot of CYA, you know, a lot of cover your ass uh, with each person. And, and as long as they could pass the buck or defer to somebody higher up on the food chain, um, then they would do that. And and whatever was the uh, the official narrative, it could not be questioned, you know. So uh, one of the key key things related to that was the really shitty um, spectrometers or whatever they're called that they had to measure the Rotkins. Uh, it would max out. It would max out at like three point six, or whatever. Report the number. That's what we got. Yeah, that's the number that we saw. So everything got reported as three point six. When uh, when they finally got the you know higher and more capable equipment. It was something like a hundred or a thousand times that, and that also ties into um, Robert your comment about that uh, the Joker, the machine that was sent in from Germany. Well, the official number was much lower, and the Joker machine could handle whatever that lower number was, but not the twenty times greater real number. And uh, it's just amazing that the the reality that they presented themselves with by sticking to the narrative didn't comport with the actual on-the-ground reality. And it's like that Ayn Rand quote, like, you can ignore uh, reality as long as you want, but you can't ignore the consequences of that, of that reality. And we see that here. Well, and it, it seemed like the entire the whole entire story centers around you know, the idea that they could outrun it. They, they just believed, oh, well, we can, just, we can just make this somebody else's problem. You know, the truth is what Mother Russia says truth is. You know, he's got the guy, he's like, so what, you what, you won that courtroom, as it does at the end. You're never going to see the light of the day. You're going to do work, and you're never going to get any credit for it. And no one's ever going to know who you are. So, big win. Yeah, and just to reiterate about the, the two main, I would say the two main male heroes. I mean, there's also a female hero that was kind of a, an amalgamation of a bunch of scientists but they seem to be the only ones who were like, no, this is a serious problem. This is, this is, this goes, cuts through beyond, beyond all your bureaucrat crap, this done and handled. And I mean, the, the, you know, you get to see that all the people, all the status like to point to 
you know, like when a when a government can like let's say land on the moon or something like that, they can they can all take a lot of resources and get something done. So like the uh, the general character, I don't know if he, he was a general or what, but he was like the the guy in charge that could actually order people around and get things happen. At one point, he's like, well, I can get you, you know, a million tons of sand and boron or back bauxite or whatever it was. He can actually get order that men and material into place and look at the great power of the state. Look how wonderful it is. Yeah, you can do those things, but that's not to say that any of that is moral or not to say that that couldn't happen in a free society where, hey, if, if enough people are worried about this, this uh, reactor exploding and it's going to be a problem, then yeah, I think people would be interested in, you know, not only having an insurance company come in and do that exact same thing, but also pitch in like, like the miners did. And like those other guys did who were running around in the dark with those little flashlights. <laughs> yeah. The, that uh, ended episode two with those three guys underneath going down to um, open the valves and the radiation is so intense that their, their flashlights die and it just goes dark and then roll credits. And that was just gripping to me. My wife and I were watching this and we're like, Oh man, it's so late, but we got to watch the next one or at least the first, you know, first 20 minutes of it. And then they kind of uh, pull a um, Pollyanna move. You know, you start episode three and, They've got these little wind-up ones, like, oh, those work, so crisis averted. But it, it was a great theater, that end of uh, episode two there. Yeah, there's a lot of good theater in this series, but I, I, to your point, Daniel, I think a lot of the drama gets set up and then just kind of gets hand-waving away. And then like, oh, it's a big deal? Oh, it's not really that big a deal. Oh, we did tear that. Oh, we're not sure. And then, you know, the drama kind of has these weird spikes and then letdowns throughout the series. It's good. I'm not saying it's terrible, but that was something I did notice. I only thought that was just really good story. Like, I thought that was a good way of handling the fact that ultimately we all know how this ends. And we've got where they knew they were going into it in a serial fashion. So it was definitely set up to kind of make things hit natural peaks and valleys to work with that format. Um, to me, I get what I, 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 I felt like, you know, aside from like the normal way you would write that, that it, 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 it I think I watched the entire thing in one night. Like I just sat down and watched it and it just, I, I literally couldn't stop watching it because it, it was moving at a nice brisk clip and just opening these little things each, each step of the way, kind of letting you in on more of the story. Uh, one of the things that I was actually surprised about is that you, you, you go through this entire thing, kind of looking at the main character as if he's, he's a good guy, essentially, you know, Oh, just kind of thrown into this mess. And then you get to the end of it and he's in that courtroom and he knew all along that this was bullshit. Like he, he knew from the very beginning about the reactors and he didn't let anybody know any more than anyone else did. He was dealing maybe with the situation at hand and not making it a problem, but he knew about those pages. He knew the scientist that was involved. Yeah, he did. Um, he did report that to the outside world, right? I mean, they had like a, what was it? A was it Geneva or I forget where? But they had some sort of Vienna. conference, Vienna conference. Yeah, where he went and essentially lied to the world, but then came back to Russia and told the truth. Mm -hmm. So he's not he's not a, a perfect character by any means. Well, but I, if, if you follow the trajectory, even before all that, like when he first talks to the girl, I, I think it's at a certain point he opens up to the fact that 
he knew the scientist, knew what had happened, knew that that wasn't going to work, and didn't tell anybody about it, even though he, he knew what the issue was. Like he 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 knew from like the moment the movie starts, he already knew. He just didn't say it to anybody until after the fact. But that knew was, what? Uh, he he, from what I remember, he he knew that there was an issue that should have been resolved, and that they just never did. They buried it. And he think he kind of played played dumb on it through the beginning of it because he. Like everyone else. The issue with the reactor? Yes. Oh, okay. The, the vulnerability in that series of reactors that they were talking about at the end there. Yeah. Okay. I don't think he knew what they maybe did about it, but he knew about the vulnerability because he, he he knew the scientist, knew the paper that was in, and like knew about... The, but the, the idea was they knew about it. They just assumed it would never have to be dealt with, so they didn't bother to change anything. The situation... Now, Nick, wasn't the wasn't the test that was being conducted, and isn't it always the case that whenever some disaster like this strikes, they were running a test or a drill? You know, the same thing with um, what is it? The official narrative with nine eleven, like they, that there was a drill, and so NORAD stood down or whatever. Um, yep. But this uh, Chernobyl thing, they was going through a test, and that test was, if I recall, to see if they could power the backup. Um, or the cool-down phase or whatever with the turbines winding down but still harnessing that power. It's something like that. So it was, it, Because if the plant loses power, even though it's generating power, it still needs like a few minutes of power if it were to lose that power to get the control rods back in place or something along those lines. Yeah. And so what they were trying to do was simulate a loss of power and then use the how like a, a Toyota hybrid car works. You know, when you are using the brakes it um it harnesses which is where the power goes right and then it recharges the battery a little bit now what was the the um the problem that was known with the rbmk that they held back from everyone that prevented this from from actually being a solution because i think they said there's something like a one minute gap that they were trying to fill uh to maintain the integrity of of the of the core I mean, so you're asking why the meltdown itself happened? Well, I'm, I'm he's asking the vulnerability, right? And it was that the yeah, the, um, the tips of the a, control rods were a different material because it was cheaper. Yeah, the 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 idea being that you have your control rods, but on the end of the control rods was a what he a graphite cap essentially, which under normal circumstances would react some way, but in these very very rare circumstances that they found themselves in they would act very differently because you're in a, essentially you're take when you, when you're in this, uh, a stable environment, it does one thing that doesn't matter. But when you get out of that stable environment that they found themselves in, it, 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 it essentially becomes a lightning rod as opposed to just, just another piece of metal. Like the, the chemical or the physical properties of graphite are different. in say this temperature than another temperature. Okay. And yeah. I remember problem. now that, that the temperature is normally high enough to where, this graphite just burns off and it's not a non-issue, but if the temperature of the core is too low, then it doesn't burn off and it becomes, uh, it contaminates it. That sounds about right. I, yeah, I, I mean, it, we're, I'm, not a, I'm not a nuclear physicist, so... Right. Yeah, just, we just watched the, the fifth episode and we'll re-watch that. And then if you're interested, I think that explained it pretty well, but I don't, I don't yeah. remember the specifics well enough to... 
I mean, to me, to me, like coincidentally, like why I brought this up as an idea to talk about with the you know, free market screen earth, there's definitely an amount of where I, it really was the political stuff that seemed far more interesting than the, the environmental stuff. Like, you know, I, I, I don't have the attachment that Daniel does because I was like two years old when this happened. I'm not, not that old. Um, Thanks buddy. You know, I, I know I had to get it in there. But it really was the political stuff and like seeing firsthand like the 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 banality like is it, there's that that old quote about the banality of evil and it's like that truly does seem to be the situation here. It was just a bunch of people going through the motions doing their job literally literally caused one of the most horrific disasters in human history. Just go through the motions, half assing life. Right, and you also had a lot of people who were in positions that uh, they didn't earn necessarily based on merit or ability. It was the sort of like salesman, the shoe factory guy. Right, right, and then apparently the uh, the head nuclear uh, scientist guy, um, not Diat, not Diatlov, and not the uh, uh, the the kind of wormy guy who was like the number two. Um, apparently, mm-hmm. he he was uh, like a. Uh, what do you call it? A uh, distance learning um, type of uh, degree. And, <laughs> you know, like he wasn't like super qualified to be doing that. And then the, the other guy who was in charge of the control room that night, not Diatlov, but the, the guy just below him, he was like 25 years old and had been doing the job for like two months. And I mean, yeah, there's prodigy type people out there, but it's not like he was in that position because he was the best person at that job. But, but but that's the thing is that that has nothing to do with it. Like this, what, the way that the system functioned was you didn't he didn't have to know about it. We're all equals. We're all cogs in this big machine, and you have these other people that set it up. So all you got to do is push the buttons. And he kept harping. We did exactly what the protocol said to do. We did exactly what it said. They they, they it always fell back on. It was it, we did what we were told. We did what the the book said. Well, and the book was wrong. Had you been a more educated person or someone who really deserved that type of job, then you should have known better to second second guess and glance. But that's not the way the system functions. Right. Yeah. And, and they did say right. that. They did say that to themselves. But um, I think it's revealed in in the final episode that Dyatlov was he was really pushing them to go outside of whatever they were supposed to be doing, and he was basically saying, you know, I am the law here or whatever, you know? So, uh, they had to sort of go against whatever they thought was correct and listen to what Diatla was telling them to do. Well, but, but the, the thing with him was that not that they did something that they weren't supposed to, but that because the parameters weren't addressed, his, his thing was, well, that there's no rules and it doesn't matter. Like if they didn't tell, if they didn't plan for this eventuality, then the eventuality is just a normal thing. Had it been a, it had been an odd thing they would have told us about it to expect it and and that was the thing that like i saw to him he he was making them you know do you see anything in here that tells us how to deal with the situation well then you do what i say well and let me ask you this guys um the state in its investigation the russian state they were trying to pin this disaster on these couple guys like this is is a incompetence. These guys did the wrong thing. They shouldn't have done this, whatever. And there's nothing wrong with our reactor designs. It was just gross incompetence. They're guilty and they need to be punished. Not that there's anything that needs to be done in terms of, you know, the state apparatchik. But do you think, I'll go to Daniel first, do you think that those guys were guilty? 
of some kind of negligence in that sense? Or were they just doing their jobs as best as they could? And it was the state that was ultimately guilty. Well, that's that's uh, kind of a double-ended question here. And I'll, I'll say they're both guilty uh, insofar as Dyatlov was playing fast and loose and not within the safety protocols as they were aware of. Like, he... He went out of his way to say, no, I just want to get this test done. I don't care if we've um, had this uh, delay in being able to start the shutdown process and we're not supposed to um, heat the core back up, uh, you know, within this certain time frame. Like he was ignoring all of that. And well, have you ever have you ever worked a third shift factory <laughs> job? No. Like that to me, that's the that's the big thing here is that we. Because we're thinking of it as a nuclear facility, we're thinking of it as a place where you should have really intelligent people who know really what's going on. But what we're, we're looking at is a factory. Like they were treating it like just any other factory where you might manufacture shoes. The same reason the head of that department that what's her name works at was a dude who literally his last job was he made, was in a shoe wear a shoe factory. The people that are in charge of these places are just people that are, you know. Guys going to work, and you're you're looking. If you've never met a third shift uh, shift manager, which is essentially what that dude was, their guys would rather be doing anything else. This is the only job they could get, and you get a premium for taking the night shift. That was the only way they could convince them to take the job, essentially. And he just wants to he just wants to not get in trouble. So whatever he can do to make sure that the place is there in the morning, because it's a factory. Whatever happens in factories, you know, sure it's a nuclear facility, but. You know, if it was a real big deal, they would have told us about it. You know, if, if we should be concerned about this. You got to remember, we're also talking about the 80s. And I, I mean, I, I think at that point they treated nuclear different than we do now because we have had Blue Mile Island. We've had Chernobyl. We've seen some worst case scenarios. Up until that point, I think they kind of said, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, your grandfather's nuclear energy was scary. But no, nah, this is just, you know, normal. That's why we're powering the entire, you know, Soviet Union with it. So, Nick, it sounds like you're kind of giving these guys a pass then. Personally, I'm not giving them a pass. I'm saying that they were set up to fail. That's ultimately the issue here. They are perhaps unwitting pawns, and maybe if they'd been better people, you know, it's the old same thing, the Nuremberg defense, you know, like, well, this is my job. That's what I'm supposed to do. At some point, you do have to take responsibility for what you did, but, you know, at the end of the day, someone gave you your margin orders, and if you, the thought was, I'm going to disappear into the night if I don't do what I'm told, well, which way do you go? I, I don't know. I, I kind of agree with you a little bit and like that. Yeah, they're, they're set up to fail. Um, but you know, if you're, if you're the captain of a ship and, and you know, you got that ship from the company that, you know, you work for and the engine starts on fire in the middle of the water, you put it out, you know, um, at some point you become culpable for, ignoring things um maybe not you know initially but um at some point it, it does change hands and and you know they should be to some degree you know well, my, i feel like there was perhaps a point where that it could have went that way where he goes into that meeting where he finally makes the calls that he needs to make and then when he gets in that meeting with those two guys they wakes him up out of the dead of sleep what do they tell him yeah <laughs> no, nothing happened it's all normal let's let's call who we got to call to make this somebody else's problem he, you know, he was essentially let off the hook and then kind of put back on the hook later. 
<laughs> you got to have somebody to blame, right? Um, exactly. I, the The problem, I think, we we see that right, like uh, with our mindsets and our you know our, our outlook on the world, like we see all that stuff when we watch this miniseries you know that, that's what you see you see all these failings of, of government and, and bureaucracy and you know passing the buck up the chain and it's you know ends up squishing the little guy in the end and we see that um i'm not sure that like everybody kind of got that when they when they saw this thing you know um it, so i'm kind of like it's listening to the conversation and then i'm, I'm in my head i'm just thinking yeah that, that's what we saw but i wish other people would see it like that i don't know you, you, do you think other people recognize the, the failings in that you know recognize that this is communism you know you have a freaking shoe salesman you know high up the food chain telling people what to do um and it, you know yeah i i, I wonder because the the series of obviously had a scope and it just stuck within the, the the lines of what happened but and and it really makes say like the russian government look bad but it doesn't necessarily make communism look bad to like the average viewer mm -hmm. i think it yeah. reinforces our views right but it never goes out and says and this is because of central planning just can't you know, can't hold a candle to millions of people doing you know what they can do best so well yeah it... go ahead no oh, no i'm sorry i'm getting ahead of myself here because to me i almost think that the more interesting question about this like from a political standpoint isn't even what it's about it's about what it is and why it came out when it did yeah um <laughs> i know right you know let it let it be that the, the movie about the most awful thing russia ever did comes out underneath the donald trump presidency where they're trying to paint him as a puppet of vladimir putin and that russia's everything that's wrong in the world well now hold on now you just yeah. said something that is absolutely false you said this is the worst thing Russia's ever done. I think there's like <laughs> 50 or 70 million dead Russians who would disagree with you on that one. Yeah, but nobody believes that ever happened. <laughs> they only believe the Nazis did it. That's my point. The world sees this as the most awful thing that Russia's ever done. They don't care about those people. We do. They don't. I'm looking at this from an optics standpoint. Like, right, okay. See, obviously, we know that China and Russia killed way more people than the Nazis ever did, but the Nazis get the crown because that's the way history's set up. So I, I I hear you on that. I, I'm when I was watching it, it, it in my head, I was thinking a little bit. Um, what's happening here, right? You have these scientists um, who have studied this information, who know this information, who are telling the government um, all these problems, right? Like there's there's a problem in this thing, right? They they knew about the problem in the reactor and they went ahead, um, but but government ignores scientists and these th this is what happens this is the outcome when um you know the, the state ignores the wizened you know intellectual um I, I don't know i think that kind of plays into uh the the narrative of around climate whatever you want to call it these days i mean i, I don't know that, that was that was my well there was also perspective something else, a little bit something else like structurally that i thought was interesting like the way the dynamics work interpersonally is that while that dude was perfectly like it, it, within the scope of things, the, the the scientists were treated like nerds that were easy to push around. Now, let's bring in some miners from out in the middle of nowhere and look at the way in which every single person treated them. They were treated like a wild animal. 
like the proletariat is here to keep you in check. Don't you dare treat the working man the way he doesn't want to be treated because he'll give it to you back five ways till Sunday. Like, I found that, that dynamic very, very interesting. Like, push the nerds around, but you keep the working man. You, you do what he says. Yeah, I, 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 I think the miners were one of my, my favorite. Uh, oh, without question. Characters involved oh, yeah. in that whole thing. <laughs> Just, they're a bunch of no nonsense guys. They're like, cut through yeah. the shit and tell me what's what. Yeah, the, the way he stole that man's pack of cigarettes was just, it was a price. I love that. It was great. Well, and, and up until that point, you watch that guy push every single human being he comes in contact around, just, just throw his weight and everything moves out of his way until we get to the working men, you know, the, the downtrodden of society. And he clams up like a fucking, you know, like, like an oyster, just, just shuts his goddamn mouth. And that part was just. <laughs> I, I think it definitely goes to the narrative that people want painted right now to, yeah. to wax conspiratorial. <laughs> you know, hashtag resist, if you will. So it turns out that um, the miners digging under the reactor, um, it turns out that it wasn't even necessary in real life like they did it uh on the chance that they might need to put the what was it nitroglycerin under under there to act as a heat exchanger um but apparently the meltdown never actually made it through the concrete pad underneath chernobyl and all of those guys got all that all that exposure and they kept going back towards um this this idea of trading lives in the in the documentary like how many oh, yeah. lives are we going to be trading for you know solving this problem? And the the creator in this podcast, he was talking about how he felt like he was only the people of Russia would have been able to manage this problem and solve it in the way that they did, like being able to sacrifice themselves, like when they had to, you know when those robots weren't capable of operating in that environment, they they had this train of like 3000 people come in and each get 90 seconds to remove something off the roof and then, and then move on, move along. Or, um, or they go in that meeting room and he asks everybody, three of you, but he says three of you are going to die. Which ones you who wants it to be? I, I was reading that never happened. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't they, surprise me. They, they were just, uh, just a couple guys on shift at that particular moment. And um, that's what happened. But you know, for, for effect, you know, um, dramatic embellishment, but there were, you know who I really wish I could have watched this with Michael Malice. I, I had to fight really hard to not tweet like a crazy person at him after watching. You know, like, so how, how accurate to Russian civilization was this in the way they treated people and neck beard out. <laughs> it's, uh, so, uh, Robert, what did you think of the the firefighter and the wife uh, and her kind of blind devotion to him so that she would just ignore any and all advice telling her that, hey, you're going to harm yourself and, hey, are you pregnant, by the way? Because this radiation stuff, you don't want to fuck around with. And yet she would ignore it, and uh, she ended up you know, paying the price for that. Yeah, that was another sad, tragic element to the story. I like that they got they zoomed in on these you know little human events 
of you know the actual people that suffered and died as a result of this not just the the bureaucrats tasked with you know solving the problem but the actual victims um, well you know, what's the, they go point, ahead. They point. Sorry, they point out in that particular. Case, like that. No, that whole part is one of the few things in the story that is total bull. Total bullshit. Like the the particular woman. Like that's not how radiation works. Mm-hmm. Like once he was clean, he was fine. He died, but it would have had no effect on her and the child. Last I knew, she like lived out a long life, and the kid did fine as well. I could be wrong about it. But I thought that's one of the things they came at the end. I think the kid ended up, the, the kid was born like a couple months later, I think. And then it, it did die. Um, but that was from, you know, radiation, um, from the circumstance, not, not necessarily her husband that, you, you know, that, that's in a radiated place, right? That's not how radiation works. If, you know, you, you clean somebody off and, and it's okay. He's not like emitting, Zombie? you know? Yeah. Right. Um, he, he's not emitting radiation that, that's going to, to harm her. And so that was, you know, uh, a little played up, you know, um, but the... do you think it was played up for the show or do you think that that's what they believed at the time? Like there, there seemed to be a lot of, and that's one of the th- tragic things about, you know, like Soviet Russia back in the day is the free flow of information isn't super great. Right. Like you got all kinds of state propaganda telling you one thing, you got some other guy telling you something else. There's not like a Google you can go to. And even if it was, <laughs> could you trust it at that time? You know, it's like going to the state Chinese Google. It's like, do you really trust it? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I do. I think it was something that they did um, specifically for the show. I, I was uh, reading, you know, like he, so that, that firefighter guy, um, I forget his name, start with a, an L, I think, or something, or V, I don't know. But uh, he was, they had him in the in the show. He was interred in like a big concrete uh, thing, right? Because he's yeah, they radioactive. Over the, yeah. That, so they there was somebody that, got interred like that. Um, but it wasn't him. And and the reason they did it is actually because of groundwater contamination. It, it wasn't, you know, because he's radioactive. And, and if you go to the cemetery, you know, you're going to get radiation from, from him. It's, they're worried about the, the groundwater getting, getting contaminated. So it was kind of, it, it left something to be, I don't know. It, it made sense, but it didn't make sense. Like it, it, if you understood it, if you, if you knew why, um, then you get it. But if you didn't know why, then you're thinking that they're, they're doing it for a whole nother reason. Um, you know? Hmm. Okay. Well, but one of the questions I, I'm actually curious to get your guys' uh, you know, perspectives on is the fact that, so we know when Soviet Russia ended and, and we know when the actual, um, project in dealing with this ended, which happens way, way later after the like, after Soviet Russia like collapsed. Like what I would say, wasn't it in 2014 they finally completed deal like their project to deal with this? It buys them like a hundred years or something to that effect. Yeah, they just. I think you can see on Netflix. There's the new dome completion or whatever it is called to cover Chernobyl and yeah, it'll last another 80 to a hundred years or something like that. So who, who's going to visit? I want to go to Pripyat so bad. You don't even know. You can go. You just got a, what is it? That video game where, you know, you shoot all the <laughs> stuff, you know, there's like mutants and stuff. They're all coming at you. 
<laughs> well, I know, and I know they've had that movie. They've had a couple movies that have been filmed there for like in little bits. I want to see the real thing, though. Don't ask me why. I'm sure it would be uh, quite the spectacle. There's, well, some, can... there's something about like man-made buildings going, going to not to waste, but falling back to the environment. You know, just just being consumed by by Mother Nature is uh, it's impressive. It's awe-inspiring. But... Haunting. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I mean, and, and when you look at Pripyat, you get to see one thing, but you don't think about all those little towns and hamlets off to the side of Pripyat, like where the concrete and the roads aren't as thick. Like it had a huge effect on that entire countryside for like gigantic, gigantic slobs of land. Like it's amazing that Pripyat is there as it is, from what I understand. Solid Soviet construction, I guess. Mm. <laughs> so, what do you guys think? Would um would nuclear power plants exist in an ANCAP world? You think they're safe enough for for insurance companies to insure them? Well, the, the type that they were using then were outdated when they did it, like in mm -hmm. the first place. Like this, the the model that they were using for their in them in like in, when this happened was cheap and outdated. It wasn't anywhere near even the newest technology. Like it, that's that's what you find in all of these disasters because we we try the whole things about Chernobyl. But if you look at Fukushima. Um, they're all incredibly old technology that people were just using because it was cheap as opposed to buying the thing that they needed in the first place, doing the upgrades and dealing with things. From what I understand, the way modern reactors work, like it, the way that those meltdowns aren't even remotely possible anymore because they're just the type of reactions that they get are completely different. Yeah, that's what so, they thought back then too, Nick. And, and just like how housing prices never go down back in, uh, you know, 2007. So I, I think that it's uh 5g is gonna kill you that's right there's there's different types of fuel you know um and i i don't know a lot i know a little bit um but there are different types of of nuclear fuel and some of them just kind of keep going and go and then there's some that um the way they they build it essentially um the way they build the excuse me the, the cores um it will burn itself out. So even if you have like, you know, some sort of problem, um, it, it will eventually stop. Whereas some of these other things like, you know, Chernobyl this has this huge time frame attached to it. Um, I think that was, that was how I understood it. Um, you know, but, and, and like, you're always going to have sort of natural disasters. Right. And that's kind of what happened with Fukushima. Um, you know, the, the, Waves came, basically, you know, covered covered exhaust pipes, and, and it just kind of went from there. Um, you know, and, and so you, as we go, we learn things. I mean, we're always learning things. You know, as as individuals, as a, as a culture, um, you know. So maybe you don't put a big nuclear reactor in in some place that uh, is going to, you know, on a fault line. Um, you know, or maybe you, you, you don't build your cities in a place that's called a floodplain. And there you go, right? I mean, like you're not going to put even even some of these alternative energy things. You're not going to do right. You're not going to put solar panels in in Alaska or, or someplace further up. You know, um, you're going to be smarter about it. And those are things that you learn from hindsight, and that's okay. You know, um, when you really when we when you look at like radiation poisoning and and 
all that, like for sure it's something and it's not a joke and it's not this little thing, but at the same time, um, it's certainly not this big, scary monster that it's, it's been made out to be. Um, you know, when you look at the, the deaths that have occurred from Chernobyl, um, you know, it's a whole lot less than, than you would expect. Um, and a lot of the times, you know, one, one of the main causes or, uh, main problems from, uh, from it is, is thyroid cancer. And, and a lot of times that can be taken care of. Um, you know, it's just, it's something to consider that I definitely think nuclear is, gets a bad rap. Allowed. Um, well, since we, since we kind of tangentially moved across and, and mentioned Fukushima, we got to, I, I find it interesting. We got to watch in real time our own version of what happened there because do you guys, did you guys follow it all when it was going down and the ways in which the different governments were managing expectations and the amount of information that was getting out at any given time and, you know, the, the info war side versus the whole governmental side or you mean, sorry, the MSM side. And then I remember the MSM, I remember they were downplaying the danger as opposed to the, the Infowars side was upplaying the, the danger, oh, yeah. as I recall. Well, and which is all well and good. That's what they're going to do. And as long as you understand that, you can kind of wade through the bullshit. But there were some other things that happened. Most notably, I believe some of the scientific um, organizations started changing numbers. Not in the way of like, this is what we're seeing, but they started changing numbers in, a, in the way of this is what we can expect. And this is like what acceptable is. <laughs> Like the world's radiation, the entire like like ambient radiation on Earth is higher than it was like it was acceptable prior to Fukushima. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think there's, I don't know. Anything I'm going to say at this point is just conspiratorial. Like you know. I, I think nuclear. Go for it, man. Well, I just think I think I, I, I don't want to be labeled like a domestic terrorist. You know? Nah, um, we're already there. You're already you're already on the list. I I do. I think nuclear has a lot of promise, but I I think that it it gets a bad name, and there are I don't know. We we and maybe it's just because like you know fear sells, right? You're, you're gonna get more clicks because you got a scary headline than you know you have this. Well, maybe not a cute kitten, but you know, you have a positive headline and, and I think there's something to that. Um, and so when, you know, Fukushima happened, I think they, I don't know, it stands something to gain to, to kind of play it up and, and to kind of sell it as this disaster, the real, real problem of why we shouldn't do nuclear, nuclear, right? Cause what happens if, if we all move to nuclear, you know, what happens to the whole alternative energy side? What happens to, to big oil? Um, you know? I think really the importance of the Fukushima thing, if you want to get real conspiratorial about it, is that it was in the ocean. Everything, like every nation on Earth in some way eventually connects to the oceans. The currents take things around one continent to the next continent. There is mm -hmm. no way to separate that out. That particular thing, because of how it happened, was a literal threat to the entire globe. Like for, with Chernobyl, there were things that had to happen for that to really affect the world in a meaningful way. Fukushima worked very, very differently. By the way, do you know what ended up happening with Fukushima? Uh, Didn't they evacuate a big group, big area around it? Well, yeah, but what do I care about the land? The thing was underwater. 
What'd they do to it? As far as I know, nothing. <laughs> it's still down there doing what it does. Nice. I think that like the, the initial reaction is tame, tamed, but as far as I know, we didn't like nothing ever really came of it. It's just kind of there pumping radiation into the oceans. So either it's a much bigger problem than we could possibly understand, or maybe it's not as big a problem and they are using it as kind of like a way to control people. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's just, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't scare me. Um, I don't know. Um, and you can't change it in any respect. Like it's what's done is done, I guess. Well, even I think going forward, you know, um, I, I don't, I don't have too much of a problem. The only, I think, uh, when it comes to, to, you know, storage of, of, uh, uh, what's it called? I can't remember. Um, you know, storing the, the byproduct of it, uh, the nuclear waste, uh, you know, that's the only thing that, um, you kind of wonder about sometimes. Um, and I guess, you know, in, in an ANCAP world, uh, that land's going to be a little bit cheaper. And, and maybe maybe that's where I want to go because it's really cheap. I'll go, I'll go well, but that's set up shop. So, like, from what I understand, like, the newer the newer methods of doing that, uh, the, mm. the newer way, the byproduct is actually usable and secondary. It's not as cheap, but it's it's usable for its own reactions. Because it's a different, it, we, we, it's just a different mineral than we use to use. So, like, instead of putting it on the ground, you just take it to the secondary reactor where they burn that fuel instead. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. I remember talking about that now with someone um, about that. That you know, using the the byproduct um, further on down the line, you know, essentially getting using using it twice, kind of. I'm I'm curious what the two dudes who who don't think about this stuff all the time think about it though. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, us two dudes, I think that we should continue our discussion on your guys' show uh, in the next week or two, and on this one, we should start winding it down. And how we do that is a final summary and review score out of ten, a decimal point deep. If you guys are good with that, I can try. I can try. All right, Robert, you want to show them how it's done, and then we'll go to Ben, and then Nick, and then I'll close this out? All right, so for the entire series, I thought the production value was quite good. Impressive. I mean, there were some instances of, like, a little bit of CGI that wasn't great, but who cares? This was a story about people under intense pressure to solve a problem that was tremendous, like nothing they had ever had to deal with before. And they were kind of making it up as they went along. And it was exciting to watch. And there was a real human story element where people were suffering and dying. And, you know, how much of it's true and how much of it is an amalgamation and kind of done for entertainment purposes, drama purposes, I don't know. But the story itself is engaging and gripping. And it went by really quickly. Um there's this one quote I really want to talk about. Maybe we can save it or maybe we can make it up, speak it up again. But this, this one quote, the very end of the series, I have to talk about this because I don't know if we're going to have to end up doing the second part. But at the end, there's a line where it says, Gorbachev wrote, Chernobyl was perhaps the true cause of the collapse of the Soviet Union. And if you understand how communism doesn't work, how they don't understand, they, they don't have prices, 
there's the the incentive problem. You're not getting the best people doing the best thing because they're not getting rewarded for doing that thing. Communism is doomed to fail. It may survive for a while, but states thrive when you let freedom and capitalism take place, property rights. So the idea that one accident is what caused the collapse of the entire Soviet Union, <laughs> uh, I think that's a joke. And maybe Gorbachev was high reading wrote that, or maybe it's taken out of context. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, it's just absolutely ridiculous. But anyway, the series is great. Check it out if you haven't. Um, I'm, I'm giving this one an eight. Highly recommended. Who wants to go next? Yeah, I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll give it an eight. Uh, that's kind of where I was thinking. I don't, I don't watch too much TV, so I don't know. You know, I think the last thing I can compare it to is uh, Sons of Anarchy. Maybe I don't know. But um, yeah, you know, go go watch it. Um, watch it, knowing that um, yeah, it's it's a it's a documentary, but it's it's not. You know, there there is definitely some embellishment. Um, you know, maybe even read up on, on Chernobyl before you watch it, you know, um, go in knowing, knowing some of what happened so you can dissect a little bit of that out. Uh, that, that was really one of the things that, that kind of turned, turned me off on it a little bit. Um, just watching it, you know, it, it, I think it was in the first, first episode I'm watching it with my wife and, and she's saying, can, can, can that really happen? It's just like, yeah. No, not, not, not really. Not like that. I like they're, they're doing it, you know? Um, and I can, I can see how, if you aren't necessarily thinking about, you know, qu questioning motives, questioning the, the narrative behind it, um, you know, some, some of the points, some of the, the goodness out of it can, can easily be lost, but that's where I'm at. All right. Thank you for that, Ben. And we'll go to you, Nikki P summary and review um well i'll start it with the the review and that i i'm gonna give it an eight just because there was perhaps uh not enough not enough naked women or like gory death in it in there were minors well i know but there was not enough breasts you know <laughs> anyways um <laughs> so i'll give it my highest review i can give a movie without like you know nude women having sex in it which is an eight I, for me, the movie was awesome. Uh, the places that I do see, you know, it's the same places you guys see it fail. Is that, well, we see what we want to see in it. I think on the same vein, other people see what they want to see in it. And while that is a fantastic way to make a movie where you're not really playing any political lines, you're letting the lines play out the way they will, it is less than exciting from a propagandist standpoint where I want people to not fear nuclear and I want people to hate central planning. <laughs> So I wish it would have been harder on those two aspects, but then it probably wouldn't have been as successful, you know, spreading what information it did. Those right. are excellent points. Daniel, what do you got, buddy? All right. Well, thank you guys for, for all of your uh, commentary and your, your score of eights. I feel like I need to fall in line with the collectivist herd here, comrades. Yes, comrade. And also <laughs> give an eight. Um, so maybe collective eight. I think that's the first forever for our show. That's right. Yeah. And you know, I think that this was a really well done series. They dramatized it, uh, in such a way to where you have those cliffhangers at the end of every episode and it kind of keeps you wanting to watch that next one. And so that was really well done. Um, I thought the acting was fantastic. And, uh, from what I understand, like it was very periody, you know, like this, they tried to be as authentic as they could to, 
how Russia was uh, back at that time. And the other thing that we have to keep in mind is that this is during the Cold War. I mean, they even allude mm-hmm. to this in the uh, in the show, like when they're getting those readings, like, oh, are they bombing us? You know, is that why we're getting these readings? And if you tell a population like, hey, duck and cover for 50 or 60 years, I mean, there's going to be after effects uh, from propagandizing people. So that's probably one of the contributors to, to why people are so fearful of nuclear. I mean, sure, there are accidents, but uh, as Ben was saying, I think statistically, it's far safer than any of the other modes of electrical generation. And so it's sort of like, uh, you know, airplane crashes, the safest mode of travel, but they get the most headlines when disaster does strike, uh, similar with uh, a nuclear situation like like we're discussing here. Um so, you know, overall, I think that this was uh, pretty amazing, and I, I really love the storyline and the atmosphere. I think that they did highlight a lot of the uh, bureaucratic nature and how that contributed to things, and also the secrecy and the totalitarianism that was at play uh, against the people who were actually trying to solve the problem, and it also prevented them from having accurate information uh, to be able to, you know, deal with it appropriately. Like, how much more time would have been saved Uh, in solving the problem had they given the real number um, when they were, you know, asking for help from Germany and they sent that robot, you know, (laughs) like they had to pack that thing up, ship it all the way over there, fire it up and boom, dies right away. Like that whole situation is just one example of the myriad of waste that is uh, related to having the central planning and bureaucratic and the, um, you know, this game of telephone and the official narrative. And I think that this gets shown brilliantly in this miniseries. So I think HBO has done a great job and I highly recommend that everyone watch this. Also do check out the uh, accompanying podcast that HBO put out with the creator. I've listened to it a couple of times through and it's, it brings up like a lot of the additional facets that are are just kind of um, really amazing and interesting. So highly recommended all around eights all around. And, uh, Robert, I think we're feeling lucky punk. We're going to try to keep rolling, uh, next week into a little movie about poker, right? Is that right? Oh yeah. 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 What is it? Uh, Molly's game. Yeah. Molly's game. Yeah, it's a, it's a little film about, a Olympic skier lady who injures herself and then kind of tries to figure out what she's going to do with her life. And she ends up running a, high stakes poker game and as you could expect the feds are none too happy about it and it's a really good libertarian type story where these people should you know if they want to gamble their money they should be able to gamble their money and uh stay out of it government so uh yeah that'll be a lot of fun all right and then also look out for the uh, episode on free market screen earth where we continue discussing uh chernobyl from uh more I don't know, environmentally friendly uh, perspective uh, as we join you guys again probably in the next week or two. And remind remind our audience um, where they can find your show and uh, any final messages before we say goodnight. You can find us at freemarketsgreenearth.com. And, uh, you know, remember that the commies have done more to destroy the earth than capitalists ever will. Yeah, when when's the last time you saw a good good solution come out of communism? Thanks for having us, guys. I, I appreciate it. Um, hope we we gave you some fodder to use. I don't know. All right. Well, thank you guys yeah. very much, and uh, we will say good night from last night, everyone. 
All right, and Ben, stick around because we are going to continue for a few more minutes on the actual Anarchy version of the show. I didn't want to like throw you off. I should have, I should have forewarned you a little bit about that, but we do the show within a show here. So, All right. <laughs> How, can, I, can I go take a leak real quick? Certainly, yeah, yeah. And this, is, there, is there time? Are we still live? We are, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, oh, and we yeah. also do some post-show content we affectionately call Kathleen Turner Overdrive. Uh, but feel free, come back in just a moment. I will come back in like two minutes. All right, perfect. Um, we'll get Nikki ranting for, for about two minutes here. So, uh, Nikki, I was thinking on your guys' show, The Free Market's Green Earth, um, it might be interesting to contrast the various disasters, Three Mile Island, Fukushima, and Chernobyl, and how the relative involvement of bureaucracy and top-down totalitarian control plays a role in how the disasters are mitigated. That's not a bad idea. Um, I'm interested. I'm, I'm hoping if that's something you're interested in, how much information do you have on Three Mile? Because Three Mile, I know virtually nothing about. I know Fukushima because I kind of started turning toward the libertarian way when that was going on. And I obviously I know what I know about this because this one's just been, it's so old. Um, I really don't know a whole lot about the other one, which is I find odd because I, I lived in New York State my entire life for the most part. <laughs> it feels like I should know more about that one. Yeah, I, I did, in preparation for this, I did watch a couple of documentaries uh, related to Chernobyl and to Fukushima, and I was looking for one about Three Mile Island, and though Three Mile Island was referred to in the other ones, you know, like, similar to what happened in 1979 in Three Mile Island, but they never really get into what actually happened, and I, you know, of course, am a layperson, so I don't know a whole bunch about it, but I do recall hearing some people compare it to other these other events and basically saying that three mile island was a big deal at the time but compared to the other two not so bad yeah well i think it was very i think because i think it was very localized part of the issue with these is like the way like chernobyl was just so disastrous that it, it went, you know, stratospheric. And the real, like Fukushima, if it hadn't been in the ocean, wasn't a problem. Like, it, there literally is no problem with what happened there. Like, it would have been a meltdown that could have been dealt with. But the fact that it was sinking into the ocean and, like, they couldn't get near it, nothing they could do without pouring more nuclear waste into our ocean that was already going into our ocean. So that's really the problem with it. Whereas with Three Mile Island, like, there was there was nothing to make it expand beyond its like general vicinity. It's really crappy for there, but that's about it. Is what I, what I understand about it. All right. Well, I'll do my research and uh, be happy to to have that discussion with you guys probably in the next week or two. Um, uh, any other final comments before we uh, wind this down and get into the Kathleen Turner Overdrive for a little bit? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty okay with it. It's a uh... I, I, what I think is interesting is that while I feel like it was so dense in narrative, it really like it didn't. There's there's not a whole lot of information that it really gave out for as long of a um, you know five hour documentary that it was five hour biopic that it was. Like there really wasn't a whole lot of content. I was kind of disappointed in that side of it. Like you get a very general idea that it really hammers home and kind of lets be what it's going to be. But it's not like I walked away with like 30 pages of notes. It's a lot like, okay, they really set that up and they show you it visually and you can see it. And maybe that's just me. 
No, I, I had to agree with you. I, I expected to take a whole lot more notes for as much runtime as there was, and I ended up only taking like a page worth of notes, which is, I sometimes with a movie, I'll take two or three pages depending on the movie. Sometimes I take like nothing. Sometimes I take a, a paragraph. But yeah, this was very little for for the well, amount of content was, I saw. I think a lot of it, it was it was a very well made like picture, like everything, the cinematography, like it really nailed the the making a movie thing super well so yeah no it looked great it really did for a movie or a tv miniseries it looked fantastic and i don't know if you're a fan of these kind of realized storytelling like i am like i I'd like to i like to binge watch a long form story um these are these are it's never been better than it is right now with the ability to have the quality on hand to see. All due to competition, my friends, or shall mm. I say comrades. Comrades. Is it due to competition or is it due to a bubble created in the content industry in which they're sticking way too much money? Well, Netflix is definitely shelling out tons of cash and not even blinking at the amount of debt it's taking on. And, and there is a all big, of the good yeah. stuff is on Amazon. Yeah, so Nikki, I there's think a lot of good stuff on Amazon. I think it's a combination. I, th I think you got I a lot of money. I content getting... on Amazon for sure. Yeah, and you are getting I a just lot saw of the boys. It's great. Oh, it's amazing! So good. Hey, Robert, Sorry, really Daniel, what were you saying, buddy? Like I'm just gonna run my mouth for a moment. I, I think Nikki, you're probably right. It's probably both things. It's probably. There is a bubble, and so they're throwing a lot of money at something. But that's because all the other guys are throwing a bunch of money at stuff too, and so oh, they yeah. are competing. <laughs> for the for yeah, the there is a race to capture market share with these streaming services. It is the beginning, sort of, of this industry. These are the the, the probably the years that are, they're going to that are going to determine the winners. I would I would think that's what the the mindset is currently. That's why Netflix is just going all out, spending as much money as they absolutely can to get as many eyeballs as possible well, well ultimately netflix i think as sad as this i really don't expect netflix to weather the next five years at all because i think that they've just number one i think they bit too hard on the sjw tip and it poured too much of their content into that whole too much of it feeds back into that so i don't think it's going to have the longevity that it needs to have like take jessica yeah jones, a lot of their content take yeah. jessica jones uh, versus the boys the boys has more replay value to me in five years because I don't have to deal with the SJW crap. Hundred uh, percent. And the fact of the matter is, is that uh, Bezos, for everything that Bezos is, he's a fairly frugal guy when it comes to his shows. You know, he's he's putting the money where uh, he's using the money smarter. Whereas Netflix has definitely just spent crazy amounts of money on things to get them. Yeah, uh, Bezos seems to be doing the the quality over quantity and Netflix seems to be doing the shotgun approach to just handing producers cash. Yeah. Make something like the, the, the fire sale that Bezos just got on Star Trek discovery is pretty amazing. And I don't even think he's happy with what he paid for it, which is basically a property that they couldn't sell to anybody. Isn't that Star Trek Discovery? Isn't that that CBS show that was on for like a year or two, but it was so SJWE that nobody watched it? Or it's already they, they've got another season, and all the same people in charge of that are in charge of the new Picard season, and they're talking about making movies with all the same people, the same creators. Yep, all the same people. 
Oh, they no. just they're it's, they're doing what they all do. They double those people. If that's where you're going, you double down on it. You don't care that it fails. You have to force it. And ultimately, right. I think, yeah, because it's the religion. It is. That's exactly what it is, and it's it's unfortunate because like it. I don't give a shit about most of the properties that have been taken over. Like I've never really cared for Star Wars a whole lot. Star Trek, I like a little bit more, but eh. And they're literally going to destroy all of those properties. Yeah, they're well on their way. Though, uh, the next generation, we've been doing a couple episodes with uh, Pat McFarland from Liberty Weekly over the course of the summer, and that's that uh, that series is really quite good. I mean, it is what it is. It's not my kind of sci-fi. Like to me, that's soft sci-fi, and I get why people like it. It is more narrative-driven. I'm more of an Isaac Asimov. Like, let's throw us really into like the heavy sciencey side of it. Um, I really like the Expanse. That was on Sci-Fi, and I believe is now on Amazon. Um, but it's it's a much different thing. Like there's no there's none of the levity that you get in a Star Trek or Star Star Trek. So it's just all asking different. you guys about the Expanse. I'm really excited to check it out. If, if people are saying good things about it, but, it's awesome. But, it's really really. And what's funny is that like while they don't make a thing about like the SJW and uh, um, what do you representation thing is yeah. probably one of the most representative like, representative things I've seen on TV. Like lots of multiracial characters and shit. So, but it doesn't, like they, doesn't shove it down your throat. Yeah, they, t- they they go and they put all these people in good stories, and that's the important thing. When will they ever learn? Okay, good. I'm glad this one does it. <laughs> yeah, no, right. I'm I'm, ex- I'm excited to hear what somebody else has to say about it too. So if you watch it, let me know. Well, I watched The Boys, and I was like, I love this show. What else is good on Amazon? And I heard people talking about The Expanse. So yeah, I guess that might be the next I mean, show I watch. Personally, Amazon has all the best material. Like all their programming is better without question did you watch the man in the high castle at all no i haven't seen it yet it's fantastic it's literally just they they he he made it a point he gets quality material and that's it he also i think a big thing is is that if you're a genre person bezos himself is a genre person mm-hmm. so he he you're gonna get a better sci-fi product out of him for sure because that's what he likes personally so I think it works out. I really think it works out for the nerds in that department that the richest man in the world happens to like, you know, nerd <laughs> All right. Oh, is, that's good news. This has been our episode of the actual Anarchy Podcast as presented by Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, thank hey, I'll you. take Amazon money. I'm not too I, proud. I hate to love it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys so much for, uh, for joining us for this episode. Uh, we'll ha- continue the conversation on free markets, green earth. And uh, we'll also continue uh, this conversation this very night on our Kathleen Turner Overdrive available for our Patreon supporters at actualanarchy.com slash Patreon. This is episode 142 of the show. So the show notes are more at actualanarchy.com slash 142. We'll have links to our guests' websites, and I do recommend that you check them out. Um, and uh, we'll say uh, good night, everyone. Maximum freedom. Chipmunks. C H I P M U N K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do 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 do
In the early days of the internet, radical libertarians were scattered, lonely, and faceless. Without direction, they resigned to scour the web, sifting through content providers in a wasteland plagued by YouTube demonetization, Facebook jail, and covert internet censorship. But then, in 2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com.